morning. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to 2 Kings chapter number 22. 2 Kings chapter number 22 this morning. And uh, we're going to look at uh, the better part of this chapter and even into chapter 23 this morning. We're going to read just the first couple of verses to get started this morning and then kind of look at some of the rest of it as we make our way along and, and go through. And uh, congratulations to Brother Lynn and Miss Jan. They'll celebrate 52 years of marriage on tomorrow uh, if, if he survives today. And so, uh, and so you just never know with Miss Jan if his, his life's always on the edge. And so, uh, you know, but congratulations to them. Uh, and so we're happy for them. And that's a tremendous milestone. Uh, but 2 Kings chapter number 22. Uh, and verse number one, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adadiah of Boscath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand, nor to the left. I want to speak this morning on this thought, a new beginning. Father, thank you for the time that we have together this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd limit distractions, and that you'd help us this morning to open our hearts to you and ask you to speak to them. Lord, I pray that you would work in lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we look here and we think about the new beginnings. We're kind of in that mode. It's the beginning of a new month. Uh, for many in just a few days, it's going to be the beginning of a new school year. For those that are in college in just a, uh, a short time, it's going to be the beginning of a new semester. Uh, and so these things are all <clears throat> upcoming and, uh, and uh, rapidly approaching. Uh, when the, the rest of us, all of us older people in the room, when we get to Labor Day, it, it feels like it's supposed to be, at least it's supposed to be fall, whether it feels like it or not. Uh, and so the inside of my house will start looking like fall uh, whenever, whenever Labor Day rolls around here. And, uh, and it's already starting to smell that way a little bit. The, the candles, the fall candle scents came out early this year. Uh, and so we're, uh, we're already kind of wanting to shift. I think it's just kind of like, you know, wishful thinking that it'll hurry up and get here. Uh, and so, but, uh, but a new beginning. What you see here in the beginning is for Israel and for Judah, a new beginning. And so in, in Judah, they've got a new king. And it's an unusual in the fact that this king is uh, only eight years old. And so there's uh, much that's going on. And what you see throughout this portion of the Bible in the age of the kings of Israel and Judah uh, is a pattern of the kings. Israel's pattern is always bad. Their kings are always choose to do the wrong thing. Their, their kings always make the wrong choice. Not once after David and Solomon, did Israel as a nation ever have a good king? Judah, after the kingdom divided under the reign of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, uh, was fortunate at times to have a good king. And those kings would express a pattern, and you see that laid out here. Uh, they would either do evil or they would do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord was kind of a tiered uh, level of service to God in that oftentimes it'll say they did that which was right or it will say after the ways of Solomon, his father, or after the ways of David, his father. And so there's a distinction there. David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon was 
truly the wisest man other than Christ that ever lived. The Bible tells us that plainly. But his heart was turned away from God because of unwise decisions that he made uh, in his interpersonal relationships, particularly uh, with wives and concubines and, uh, and allowing his association with those uh, and those close relationships that did not believe in his God and believe in uh, what God had called him to do. And the Bible tells us clearly that it turns his heart away from the Lord. And so what we see here is expressed as David's way or Solomon's way. So we're looking at when you read along and Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Uh, and he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem in his mother's name. And then in verse 2, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Okay, that's good. Uh, and as you continue on, uh, and he walked in all the way of David his father. That's excellent. And he turned not aside to the left hand, right hand or to the left. And so we see two different ways here. So with David's way, uh, so what he's expressing is that Josiah is going to follow God and lead the nation of Judah, following God with all of his heart. He's not trying to, to twist it. He's not trying to pervert it. He's not trying to hang on to certain elements of, of ungodliness. He is, he's all in. He is committed to serving God. Solomon's way would be to serve, but to serve with an impure heart, a heart that over time turns away from God and uh, is diminished and, and weakens the, the nation of Israel. And so you see as the lead in to Josiah's reign and his uh, great grandfather, grandfather and father, Hezekiah did right. He destroyed the high places and he the high place you have to understand they had their center of worship in the temple in Jerusalem uh, but during Solomon's time uh, whenever all of the other gods were brought in from around them and this was an ongoing thing through all of Israel's history they built high places out around the countryside high places simply means a place of worship and they would go and they would make these places of worship and uh, and they would go out there and they would worship these other gods and so Hezekiah did right and he destroyed the high places in other words he said I'm going to go out and I'm going to destroy all of the idols all of the false gods all of their places of worship we are one nation we have one God uh, and I'm going to lead the people to love to live for and to serve that one and true God and so uh, that was Hezekiah's reign that's the way that Hezekiah operated pursued God then there's Manasseh who was only 12 whenever he began to reign and so as a young man, he comes up and he does that which is evil. Not only does he lead the people away from God, but he does that which is evil and he goes out and he rebuilds all the high places. So you have this constant back and forth that every king here now uh, that may maybe for, for 20 years or 40 years or however long the swing is between reigns and it varies widely. Some reigned a very short time, some for a much longer time. Uh, he's rebuilding the high places. Then there's Ammon that followed him and he too does evil. Uh, and then you come to Josiah here in chapter 22 and it's amazing that this young man uh, is, that it states, even though he assumed the throne at the age of eight, uh, that he is going to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. I think a lot of what this attributes to is what's going on behind the scenes. It's, it's who are their influencers? Who's, who are, who's teaching them? Who's handling them? Who's leading them? Who's guiding them? Who's shaping their way of thinking? And, uh, and, and that's really not the study this morning. What we're really getting to is that 
they had to choose a path. Just like I have to choose a path and just like you have to choose a path. Now I chose my path a long time ago. And I, I when I was young, I would kind of vacillate between one path and another. Sometimes I was on a good path and sometimes I was on a bad path and sometimes I was on an okay path and sometimes I was on a, a path that was just dangerous, going to lead me somewhere down the road. And it's always a wise thing to look down the road. I used to marvel when I worked with troubled young men in the boys' home uh, 25 years ago and, and they would try to convince me that I'm going to be different. And I was a youth pastor and I'd say, look, what makes you different? I can look at your life and I can, let me, let me show you something. I actually took a couple of times, I took the guys around and showed them and I said, you're telling me that you're going to do it different, that you're going to be different. Let me show you what's good, what you're going to be in five years. And we drive around and we, and we look and say, okay, see them guys over there? They're five years older than you. If you stay on this path, that's what you're going to be doing. And then we go a little further down and we just kind of paint a picture. Sometimes it'd be with words. Sometimes it'd just be an object lesson when we're driving somewhere and say, guys, remember that conversation we had? Look over here. They'd say, well, pastor, that's, that's kind of that's judgy. Well, the Bible does say that by the fruits you shall know them. And I'm not looking at those men that, that were out there saying, the, trying to determine the condition of their soul. I was just trying to make a point to those that I was trying to instruct that if you stay on this road, that's where you're going to end up. And, and as, aside from something miraculous happening, if you get on a road that goes there, that's where you're going to end up. Uh, I say it till probably you get tired of hearing it. But if you run out here onto I-10 and you take a left and go west uh, and you drive until it ends, you're going to end up right outside of Los Angeles, California. And if you take a right and you drive until it ends, you're going to end up in Jacksonville, Florida. You're not going to get on I-10 east and, and go to the east on I-10 until it ends and be in Miami or be in New York City. You're going to be in Jacksonville. Why? Because that's where the road goes. If I get on a road, if I get on a path, I can look. And if I'm, if I'm a young person here this morning, if I'm, uh, if I'm you know, somebody that's trying to chart out and, and begin my life, and I'm, I'm trying to say, this is what I want my life to be, Pastor, when I'm your age, in your mid-50s, and, uh, and you've got grown children that are all married and grandchildren, and, uh, and, and this is what I want to look like when I'm, uh, when I'm 80 or when I'm 30. Look at people that are what you aspire to become and get to know them and find out how they got there. Because if you don't take the right path, you're not going to end up where you want to end up. And with what we see in the kings of, uh, of Judah that we're looking at particularly this morning is that some of them chose a path of righteousness and some of them chose a path of unrighteousness. Some of them chose a path of some godliness but not complete godliness and others chose a path uh, of, uh, of forsaking everything or even persuading others to return to their evil ways. When you look at Manasseh and he rebuilt the high places, to me that speaks to I'm not content to just serve false gods myself. I want to convince others to join me. And so they're choosing a path. And they've got to determine what path they're going to take. And my friends, this morning, no one can choose your path but you. And no one can choose my path but me. And my wife and I, we, choose, we do a lot, you know, choose a lot of our path together. But ultimately, uh, you know, she's going to choose her path and I'm going to choose my path. There's a lot of influence. But we have to choose our own path. No one can choose that for you. And with Josiah, he chooses to do that which was right and walked in all the way of David, the man after God's own heart. A man that was far from perfect, 
but a man that always came back to God even after his most horrible sins. And so this morning, I just want to consider some things about Josiah, some, some, some things that he did that I believe teach us some principles that will help us to make a good choice on a new beginning. New beginnings are, are, are relative things. Sometimes they're big new beginnings. Sometimes they're minor new beginnings. Sometimes they're just a season of adjustment. Sometimes they're major transitions in life. If you, you know, go from high school to college, that's a major transition. From college to the workforce, that's a major transition. From being single to being married, that's a major transition. To uh, go from, if I've been a, a pastor, to go from one ministry to another, that's a major transition. That, that, those are big deals. But there are a lot of things that we choose on a daily basis that really aren't that big of a deal. And, you know, to me, uh, Labor Day is approaching. I'm, I'm kind of already counting the days for multiple reasons. And, uh, and I'm looking and I'm thinking, you know, this is a great time of just natural. I have a, I have a natural desire in the, my body clock and mentally and spiritually that wants to evaluate where I am and look at what do I want to see done or accomplish? What goals do I have between now and the end of the year? So there are long-term things and there are short-term things. And those short-term things should be always guiding my long-term overall objective. And so in other words, if I look at my life and say, okay, I'm 55, where do I want to be and what do I want to achieve by the time I'm 75, then the short-term goals that I set for myself now should be with the 75-year the goal in mind. Y'all follow what I'm trying to say this morning? So if you're here and you're 20 or you're a teenager, or you're in your early 20s, you need to be looking at your life at retirement age and say, where do I, where do I want to be? What do I want to be doing? What do I want to accomplish? And the decisions that you make now should be helping you achieve where you want to be then. If you wait till you're my age, you'll never get there. And so choose the path that you take wisely. Now, Everyone's path is going to be somewhat different, but yet as a child of God, all of our paths should be somewhat the same. And so God's not going to call all of us to do the same thing. It's not God's will for all of us to do exactly the same thing. It's not even God's will for us to do everything always exactly in the same way. But there are some things that they are. And when we look at the Bible, it gives us some clarity. And I just want to examine some things in Josiah's life this morning that, I, that helped me. Uh, as I kind of look at things and say, okay, this is a, a time of a fresh start. It's the beginning of a new year. It's the beginning of a new season of the year. It's the a, uh, a beginning of a new chapter in my life. I want you to look in, verse, in chapter 22 and verse 3 it says, And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. So we look here and he's now in his mid-20s. And so he's been on the throne since he was 8 years old. He's had, he's had teachers and he's had uh, counselors and he's had probably a, a, a proxy authority uh, and holding his, his authority in trust on some level until he became a certain age. In the 18th year of King Josiah, that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hokiah the high priest that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord and which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people and let them deliver it to the hand of the doers of the work that, they have, that have the oversight over the house of the Lord and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house. 
unto carpenters and builders and to masons to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. And so what you see here is here is this young man now that has been in a ruling, a leading position since he was just a child who's now in his mid-twenties who looks out and makes a decision, send this man to the priest and let's take the money that's been given to the God's work and let's fix this building. Let's repair this temple. Let's restore it to an honorable place to worship our God. That's, a, that's an amazing thing to me. Look at his father and his grandfather. Ammon did evil. Manasseh did evil. He, his heritage before him, you have to go back to his great-grandfather to find godly influence. And yet, as a young man, he stands up and says, I'm going to do what's right. And he takes some steps. He makes some action. And he says, listen, we are going to repair the temple. We're going to look at the house of God and we're going to fix it. What's broken will be repaired. What needs to be rebuilt will be rebuilt. What needs to be restored will be restored. And so he repairs the temple. So how did he do that? Well, what you see here is he's going to those that have the, uh, the oversight. He is funding the operation from the money that has been given to the work of God. Uh, and he is, he is trusting them to do the job that he's commissioned them to do. He's not coming back and counting and checking the receipts. He's not, he's not looking at them and saying, hey, uh, the, you know, uh, you, get, you gotta, you got to justify all your expenses. He says, you're, I'm chosen faithful men that are dealing faithfully and just go do the work. Just get the job done. So what do we see here? Well, in this, he has to do a couple of things. First, he has to evaluate its condition. He had to go and look at the temple, and you have to think at this point, uh, for 18, uh, for in, in the, uh, I think it said the 18th year, uh, and so in, in this year, uh, <coughs> he's been going by this place essentially all of his life, and he, he, he's noticed that it's not what it should be. He's noticed that it's lacking. He's noticed that there's some problems with the way that it, that's appearance and the way that it looks, and it affects what's going on inside. And what's going on uh, around and the condition that's maintained is having a negative effect on the worship of his people to God. So he's evaluating its condition. And as he evaluates the condition, he begins to see that there are some problems. So what does he do next? He commissions them to fix the breaches. If there's a hole in the wall, repair it. If there's an air conditioner that needs to be fixed, and I bet there were days that they probably wished they had air conditioning, then fix it. If there's a problem that needs to be addressed, address it. He repaired the temple. Now, the obvious point this morning and that we most all understand is that we are the temple of the Spirit of God. That my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. That in the moment that I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I accepted the gift of salvation by his grace. That I was born into God's family. That the spirit that was born dead within me is regenerated or made alive again within me. So that now I can commune and fellowship with my God. I, I had to make some evaluations as to the condition of this temple. 
And the moment that I became the temple of God, the Holy Spirit took up residence inside my heart. And everywhere that I go and everything that I do, he is present and he is aware. He doesn't always speak up and say something. If I've, if I've silenced him, if I've grieved him, if I've put him off, if I've given others authority in his place, uh, then I can minimize his influence in my life and his empowerment of my life and his working in my heart. Uh, and so, uh, but, but he's there. He's with me. I can't think a thought. I can't say a word. I can't commit an act that the Holy Spirit of God isn't present for and aware of. He is everywhere. He knows everything. He knows my own heart. My own heart will deceive me, but it can't deceive him. And so when I look here, I have to say, okay, this body is the temple. Why, pastor, do uh, churches like ours take such a hard stand on uh, people using alcohol or tobacco products and smoking and doing things of that nature? Because this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And there are other reasons, but the primary reason in my mind, the easiest thing for me to look at and say, man, if somebody came in here this morning and, uh, and, and, and built a big mound of fire or pile of wood out here in the middle of the, uh, of the aisle and set it on fire, uh, and, and even if they uh, were going to contain it and put it out quickly, uh, we wouldn't stand for that because it's going to just cloud up and, and soot over all the walls at, at best. It's going to damage the temple. If I, if I do things that are going to damage the temple, and we all have our struggles. For some person, it might be a cigarette. For me, it's, it's Dutch chocolate bluebell ice cream. I say, Pastor, what's the problem with that? If it's in moderation and you keep yourself fit, there's not a problem with it. But you can see I'm on that struggle bus at times with that. And so, you know, we, we look at things. We have an obligation as children of God to maintain and to honor his temple. This is where I worship the Lord. So, Pastor, but we're here worshiping this morning. Yes, this is the temple of God. It's not inappropriate or unbiblically correct to say that this is the house of God. But we, the people, are the church of God. And so this is our place that, we've, that God's given us to come together as members of, uh, and friends of Victory Baptist Church to, to worship, to be instructed, to instruct others, uh, to disciple, uh, to serve, to, uh, to reach out to a community, to, uh, to get help when we're in times of need, to, uh, to love and to be loved. All of those things are wonderful things. But I'm saying this morning that, uh, that if I'm going to understand that my temple is this body, that I have an obligation to maintain and repair the temple and to keep it in good standing, not just, uh, not just physically, but more importantly, spiritually uh, and mentally as I serve God, then I have to be aware of the fact of its condition. And if I never make an evaluation and if I am embittered or angered by an evaluation coming from the pulpit through the word of God whenever issues are addressed that, that maybe hit me the wrong way or rub me the wrong way and I'm so hypersensitive that I can't even evaluate my own heart or let God evaluate it, then my temple is going to deteriorate and decay and to end up in ruins. I've never been to uh, the area of, of, I've never been to the Holy Land. I've never been to, uh, to the Mediterranean area where the Apostle Paul served. But if, if I ever went, I would, I would love to spend time in the old ruins. 
to go to the Colosseum and the Parthenon and all of those old places that are, even though they're broken down and decayed, I, I would thoroughly enjoy it. I love history. I, I love those things. I would even, I, I'm the type of person that if I knew I was going there, I would even be brushing up on my history before I went. Because I want to know what I'm seeing before I get there so I can appreciate it while I'm there. And so I, I, I'm looking, I, I would love all of that, but I'm going to tell you something. As much as I would love that, you know what would be even better? To have seen it in its pristine condition when it was in all of its beauty and glory. This temple should be in good working order. This temple should be in a condition in which the Holy Spirit of God can rule and reign and can lead and can guide and can utilize and can worship and be honoring to God. But if I never evaluate or allow its condition to be evaluated, then I'm never going to even understand where there's a problem. I tell you this morning, we can look around and, and this is what we typically do. We sit around and we, we evaluate everybody else. And everybody in here has got plenty of things that it's easy for others to evaluate. But the things that they see are the things that we deny. And the things that they see and the things that we deny are probably the greatest breaches that we have in our temple. You ought to have, and it's a good thing to have someone that you're close enough to and that you're honest enough with that you've given them the liberty to come and to tell you something that's hard or un, uh, uh, that's, that's uneasy about yourself because you're blind to it. And so am I. The things that we resist and that we don't want to hear that we want to make excuses for need to be repaired. Evaluating its condition. So here's Josiah, just a young lad, uh, just now a young man in his early 20s, asserting his authority, learning to lead. And he says the first thing that we need to do is we need to fix the temple of God. We need to repair it. How do I do that? Well, I have to evaluate its condition. I have to know what the problem is. And then I have to be willing to pay the price to fix it. Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to go through, uh, you know, and it looks different for different things. If you're someone that's struggling with an addictive habit, that means paying the price of withdrawals. If you're someone like me that's overweight, that means paying the price of not eating as much and exercising. If you're somebody that has other things maybe uh, that are, you know, spiritual in nature, it means paying whatever price is necessary for my heart to be reconciled to God so that God can work freely in my heart. Generally, that means repenting of my sin and enduring his chastening hand uh, and then keeping the right spirit coming back to God and seeking his blessing. He repaired the temple. I wonder this morning how long it's been since we've taken an honest look at our personal temple and given it a good evaluation. How long has it been since I've worked on fixing something in my life that was so obviously broken? Maybe in the way that I worship, maybe in the way that I conduct my daily business, maybe in the way uh, that I treat others, maybe in the way that I view myself. And the, the, we ought to not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, Romans 12, 3 says. Some people struggle with thinking too little of themselves. Whatever the problem is in my life, am I willing to let the Holy Spirit of God draw it to my attention that it might be repaired? He repaired the temple. Listen, this morning, evaluate your temple. 
So, Pastor, can you evaluate my temple? If you need help, I'll try to help you. But honestly, the best evaluator of your temple is the Holy Spirit of God. There are things in the temple that need to be fixed that a, that a human being can't see. That another human being can't see. That the Holy Spirit of God knows well. And there are some things, if it's something honestly that, that, was, uh, that was obvious enough for me to see, you already know it anyway. If you'll be honest with yourself and God and let him speak, but evaluate. In just a few weeks, we're going to have a revival meeting. and we get into September, we're going to celebrate on September the 11th. We're going to celebrate our church's 50th anniversary. And, uh, and we're going to have a, uh, a big service that morning. And then uh, we're going to have a fellowship together and a meal after the service. And then we'll have a short afternoon service. And then on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, we're going to have a revival meeting. It's a wonderful opportunity to evaluate one's heart. It's a wonderful opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to lay my heart bare, Spirit of God. Evaluate it. And you don't have to wait for that. We can do that right now. You can do it in your personal devotional time at home. But uh, it's a good thing to do at any kind. But we need to be aware that the temple is going through the storms of life. And as it goes through the storms of life, there are going to be some repairs that have to be made. There are going to be attacks that are going to come. There are going to be, uh, there are going to be things that are going to fail, that, are going to be, uh, that need to be maintained. Repair the temple. I want you to notice, secondly, that he then responds to a discovery. In verse number 8, they're working on the temple. They're, they're cleaning out the rubble and they're, uh, they're investing in the things that need to be, uh, that need to be repaired. And, uh, and verse 8, And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of law in the house of God. That's an amazing statement to me. Apparently, they have been living without the word of God. And you have to understand, you couldn't just trot down to family dollar, dollar general and buy a Bible. Theirs were hand copied and passed down. But, a, but apparently for a considerable amount of time, perhaps since Hezekiah was on the throne, the word of God has been brushed aside. And they didn't even know where it was. Isn't it amazing that they found God in his house? Isn't it amazing that when they needed some spiritual help, that the place that they found it was in the house of God? That it was in the temple, it was in the very place that they assembled together to, to, to worship and sacrifice. And it just is kind of astounding to me, honestly, that that, that, that even had to be put in there. But it, it's amazing that it is because it shows us that just because you've got a Bible at home and I have a Bible at home doesn't mean that I'm opening it and that I'm utilizing it. And I may very well be in the same spiritual condition that they're in where I come to church every day, but my Bible stays here on the back of the pew or doesn't even make its way in and I'm not really even sure where it's at doesn't do me a lot of good when it's just sitting on the corner of a desk or a shelf but at any rate he goes on and he I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it it's an amazing concept and Shaphan the scribe came to the king and he brought the king word again and said thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered into the hand of them that do the work. And, we, and they have oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. What do we see here? 
They made a discovery and they responded to it. He responded to the discovery of God's word. Perhaps this morning it's time that we rediscover the word of God. Perhaps this morning you're here and you're a Christian and you serve God and you tried to do what's right most days and you, uh, you want to be honorable before the Lord, but you've neglected the word of God for some time in your life. What a wonderful day it would be today if you rediscover the word of God in your life. So pastor, I read my Bible every day. When's the last time that something that you read stuck? I find myself there. I have certain things that I try to accomplish reading-wise. Goals that I have for a day or for the year. And sometimes I get ahead. Sometimes I get a little behind. When I get a little behind, I tend to rush to try to catch up. When I start rushing to try to catch up, I'm not really thinking as much about what I'm reading. I'm reading all the words, but I'm not really thinking about what they say. I, I at times, whether it's my Bible or whether it's another book that I'm trying to read uh, and to get through, at times I find myself maybe getting to the bottom of a page and thinking, I have no idea what the last three paragraphs said. My mind wandered, it disconnected, and it, I mean, it came unhit from the train and it went off on a different track. What do you do? I go back and start reading where the last thing I can remember reading was and reread it again. It's not going to do me any good if I don't know what it said. But I had to rediscover. Sometimes I have to, on purpose, make myself slow down and focus on what I'm reading. We get so prone to go through the motions of the Christian life. We're so, we're so habitual in everything that we do. When you, when you pray, does it, does it sound like a memorized, recited prayer? Or does it sound like a conversation with someone that you love? You understand what I'm trying to say this morning? He rediscovered the word of God. And when he rediscovered the word of God, he picked it up and he said, Hey, I found the word of God. And he gave it to someone else and he said, Go and take this to the king. And when the king read it, it smote his heart. And he looked at something that had such value. And so what is the point, Pastor? Rediscover the word of God. Get it off the shelf. Pick it up off the corner of the desk. Open it. But more importantly, open your heart to the words that you read and ask the Spirit of God to make it alive to you and to reveal your Savior uh, through the pages of the words in which you read. But respond to the discovery. If you come to a church service and no matter who's preaching or where it's at and you hear the Word of God preached, when's the last time that you responded to a discovery? That a principle was shared or a truth was, we were reminded of a truth and the word of God and the spirit of God pricked your heart and said, yeah, you know that, but you haven't been living that or you're drifting in that area and you're not as focused in that as you once were. And you're not as committed as you once were and your, your love for me is waning in that area. Even though you're doing all the right things, there's no real relationship in the midst of it. Would you look this morning and say, I don't to just, I don't want to just come to church, to the house of of God and hear the word I want the word of God to come alive in my heart and life he responded to the discovery when's the last time I evaluated my temple when's the last time that I 
responded to something that the Spirit of God discovered in my heart and life. Notice in verse 11. <clears throat> I know we read it once already, but down through 14. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan the Ekbor, the son of Machaliah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asahiah the servant of the king, saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book, and to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahiakim, and Achbor, and Shaphan, and Asahiah went unto Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shulam, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harris, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she, was, she dwelt in Jerusalem at the college, and they communed with her. Notice this morning that he repented when he was convicted. Whenever conviction settled in, where did the conviction come from? It came from the Word of God. <clears throat> don't confuse coercion with conviction, but don't dismiss conviction as coercion. There are a lot of times in churches where the pastor gets up and just lays out a big guilt trip on everybody and coerces them into making a decision or to uh, manipulate people to respond in a certain way. That, that's not Holy Spirit conviction. That's an abuse of power. But when the Word of God is plainly preached and the Spirit of God moves, that's conviction. And when you hear or feel in your heart something tugging at you or a still small voice seemingly speaking to you that's saying, that's right and you need this and you need to do this and you need to that, you better listen because that's the Spirit of God. Don't dismiss that and say, oh, pastor's just guilt tripping me this morning. That's really not the way that we try to go about things here at Victory Baptist Church the Holy Spirit doesn't change somebody's heart, it doesn't matter what changes they make in their life. But will I repent of my sin when the Spirit of God convicts me of it? How long Christian has, listen, as a Christian, if I go too long without feeling convicted about it, some sin in my life, that's a pretty dangerous sign to me. That's a big red flag. So, Pastor, you got great big sins in your life? Well, I'm not going to get into an argument about what's big and what's little. If it comes between me and God, it's big enough to be big in my mind. And somebody that's been saved for six weeks and somebody that's been saved for 60 years, their sins ought not look the same anyway. But it's still sin. And it still separates our fellow, breaks our fellowship with God. And what he's saying here this morning is that he repented when he was convicted. His first response was to rend his mantle. A public show of repentance. A public show of responding to what God had done in his heart. Pastor, I don't have to walk an aisle. I don't have to go to an altar and pray. I don't have to do this. That's right, you don't. But you look at the way that they responded in the word of God whenever the spirit of God convicted them about something and they repented of it, they didn't care who knew. 
they generally made some kind of a public show that their heart was broken by the Spirit of God. No one should ever walk an aisle for a public show, but no one should hide behind, I can just repent at home. If God spoke into your heart, the best time and the best place to respond to the Spirit of God is exactly where and exactly when He convicts you of your sin. Don't hang on to it. If you, if you commit a sin on Monday and, and it's bothering you all week long and you say, I can't wait till Sunday so I, can, uh, so I can go repent my sin, you don't have to wait. Just whenever the Holy Spirit brings it to your attention, make it right. Yeah. Pastor, does that mean that whenever I come to church next Sunday that I need to hit the altar and confess it again? No. That's between you and the Spirit of God. If you already repented of it and it's already right, then it's done. It's settled. He's done. Forgot about it. Just let it go. But if you're sitting in the service this morning and God speaks to your heart, don't wait until after you're gone before you come and get it right. Every once in a while, somebody will hop up and before the preaching's even done and they've got to get it off their chest. And there's nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying this morning is simply this, that when Hezek, or whenever Josiah heard the word of God, he, he repaired the temple. And in the process of repairing the temple, he discovered the word of God. And when the word of God was discovered and read to him, and he became aware of his sin. Isn't it amazing how the preaching of the word of God made him aware of his sin? He clearly was a young man that was trying to do right, trying to serve God. The sin that they had as a people and the sin that he had in his life was not something that he was hanging on to stubbornly and saying, God, I, I, I'm just going to hang on to this until you show me different. No, what he knew was already wrong. He had already fixed. But when the word of God was read, the truth of God was revealed. And when the word of God was read and the truth was revealed, he repented of his sin and he responded to the word of God in his life. He repented when he was convicted. Conviction comes by way of God's word. How should I be convicted, pastor? Where does the spirit of God, what does he, what does he use to convict my heart? The word of God. Does he use the word of man only as in the sense that it's conveying the word of God and its principles? And God can use whatever he wants to smite my heart and to show me my sin and to draw me back to himself. But primarily, God uses his word to reveal himself to us. And as he reveals himself to us, our sin is exposed by his holiness and righteousness. Conviction comes by way of God's word. And I would say this, that a passing opportunity must be seized. Don't let the, the opportunity pass you by. Listen, opportunities in which the Spirit of God speaks to my heart cannot be manufactured and they do not come according to my timetable. They come at God's timetable. And if I'm sitting in a service and the Spirit of God smites my heart, if I'm sitting at my desk at home or my desk in the office here at the church and the, and the Spirit of God smites my heart, the time to respond is in the moment. Because I don't know and I don't want to take for granted that when I decide that now, God, I'm ready, that that convicting power is still going to be present. God is not someone that we can manipulate. He's God. And we should respond to him when he speaks to our hearts and when he cries out to us. And we look and we consider and we see Josiah, just a young king. He repairs the temple. He responds to the discovery of the word of God. He repents whenever the word of God reveals to him the sins of the people. 
And notice what his follow-up. He removed the high places. Notice in chapter 23 and verses 6 through 8. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem unto the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and stamped it into small powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. And he brake down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord where the woman wove hangings for the grove. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and he defiled the high places and the priests that had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and he brake down the high places of the gates that were the entering end of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand in the gate of the city. And all of mostly chapter 23 is him reading the word of God to the people and the people responding in his act as king, establishing in the covenant that we are going to serve God and we are going to forsake the heathen ways and we're going to forsake uh, ways that displease God. And he removes the high places. What does he do? He desecrates the idols. They were not taken down in honor. They were burned. They were hauled out and they were destroyed. They were crushed into powder. Sprinkled on the graves of the children. They've defiled generations of our people. They're destroyed. He did not bring them down with honor. He brought them down in a way that defiled them. So that they could no longer be worshipped. And no longer were attractive. And no longer had an appeal. And that's the way that I want to deal with my sin. I want to deal with my sin in such a way that it becomes unacceptable to me, unattractive to me, unappealing to me. He desecrated their idols. And then we see that he destroyed the idols. He let, left no way for them to return. He said, I'm going to take it out here. It's gone. It's torn down. It's destroyed. Those that want to perpetuate its Its use, I've destroyed them. I've removed them. I've taken them away. I'm not going to allow that to exist, which is going to impede the progress of God's working in the hearts of the people that I'm responsible for. I'm just going to say this this morning. When you look at this and how this applies to our lives today, the, the, the church is not God's police force. But as a Christian, as a child of God, I want to evaluate this temple. And whenever the word of God is discovered and reveals to me my sin, I want to repent of it. And I don't want to just stash it aside so that it's easy to return to. I want to destroy it in such a way that it's lost its luster. There are things that I once loved that I no longer have any desire for. And to look at them as loathsome. Why? Don't bring sin down in honor. How do I bring it down? Don't, don't excuse it. Don't leave the door open to return to it. Don't, don't, don't cling uh, and, and sit around and think and fantasize about it. If you can't get victory over it, if you can't overcome it, just cast it aside. If you need to, uh, if, if you need to get off of social media or turn your internet off, if you need to do whatever you need to do to keep your heart and your mind in tune with God, do what you have to do. Pastor, what should I do? To talk to the Lord about it. If you need some counsel privately, I'll try to advise you to help you make decisions. But I'm going to tell you this. You can come to me and talk all you want. I'm not making the decision for you. That's between you and God. And you have to live with the results of that decision. 
My job is not to dictate God's will for your life. It's my job to teach you how to walk with the Holy Spirit and listen to Him. And to encourage you to do so. And Josiah is a magnificent king. <clears throat> he will not reign long. He will not live long. He understands that judgment's coming. He understands that the sins of all these generations are coming to a head and God is going to judge the nation, but in his day, there's a reviving and there's a reprieve and there's a, a, a restoration of worship of the true living God. Why? Because when Josiah came and decided that it's time for a new beginning, he took steps. He evaluated what needed to be done. He put in place a way for it to happen. When things were revealed, he responded to the discoveries. He repented whenever sin was exposed. And he took action to make sure that that sin wouldn't continue to be repeated in his life. I wonder, Christian, this morning if you perhaps are here and need a new beginning. I wonder this morning as we embark on a new school year, as we have fall right around the corner and we get ready to launch into the fall of the year and a busy season of ministry, do we need a new beginning? Does your spiritual life, does your devotional life, does your walk with God this morning need a new beginning? Evaluate. Respond. And let God have his way. Josiah made a decision. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to choose my path. I'm not going to walk in the path of my father and my grandfather. I'm going to walk in the path of my father, David. I don't want to do this halfway. Listen, the world doesn't need any halfway Christians. There are plenty of them out there already. What the world needs, what this church needs, what our community needs, is Christians that are given their all, their whole heart, to their Savior that are all in for God. Being all in for God means letting God deal with the issues of my life that need to be fixed. And when I'm willing to do that, when I embark on this new beginning, then God can do great things through every life that will let him.